we're going to have a look at a couple of Jesus' stories to look at the subject of can we trust the Gospels, which is different from what I wrote a book, because you, you can read the book, I don't need to repeat that. Um, we're going to look at, can we see a way in which what Jesus said is actually what we've got here? Is there a way of demonstrating that the words that Jesus said are actually reliably transmitted from him to us? And to help us with that, we're going to look at two passages. Uh, one is his shortest parable, and the other is his longest parable. So we're going to look at uh, Matthew chapter 13 and verse 33. This is going to start with the shortest parable. And this is how it goes. Matthew chapter 13, verse 33. I'm reading the ESV. So he told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven, yeast if you like, that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. Bang. That's the end. Okay? So can we show a way uh, that uh, Jesus said that? And the word for measure is seer. Well, one thing about that is that measures vary from place to place. So sometimes what you find is, like over in America, they tend to measure temperature uh, in Fahrenheit, and we now, more of us, tend to, tend to use Celsius. You wait, the way you measure things is different from one place to another. And that is a particular measure. It's called a seer which comes from the Old Testament, which is not what people were using in other countries. So that, the very shape of that parable tells us that story must have originated at least in the land of Jesus. Okay, we can get that far. Now let's look at Jesus' longest parable, which is Luke chapter 15. It's a wonderful parable about the prodigal son. And I'm sure you've heard it preached many times, but this sermon's going to be a bit different because it's not going to focus uh, just on the effect of the narrative. It's going to look at the evidence in the narrative. But I want us to start by reading Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2, which is the setting for Jesus' parable. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 2. Now, tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. We've got four groups of people who are said to be there in Luke's gospel. Tax collectors, people who take your money. You don't like them. They work for the Romans. Sinners, that doesn't sound very good, does it? Uh, They must do some bad things. And then you've got Pharisees. Now, Pharisees, I know we think of them as bad guys now, but they're actually thought to be good guys back there. They were the people who kept to the rules. And then you've got scribes. Scribes, their job is to scribe. Their job is to copy things out. Their job particularly to copy out the Bible. So they are Bible experts. And what we're going to see is that the story Jesus told is a bit like a Pixar film. You know the Pixar movies where there's the stuff there for the kids, but there are things there for the adults that the kids aren't going to get. And you're all going to enjoy it together, right? Now, it's not about enjoying it here. It's actually a challenge for the scribes, the Bible experts, we're going to see in Jesus' story. Now, he tells... Three stories. The one is about a first one is about a lost sheep. And the sheep gets lost by going away. And it's found and there's great joy. Then he tells a story about a lost coin. The coin is lost by not going away. It's lost in the house. And the woman lights light lamp after light till she finds it. Then he tells a story about two sons, and one is lost by going away. And then he tells you a story about The older brother who's just been at home the whole time. And then the story ends without an ending. Because, and we're going to read it, because what you see in that story is that 
The father talks to the older brother and challenges him, and then we don't know how the older brother responds. But we can put it all together to work out how he would respond, can't we? Because, or how the, how, how the father would respond if he came back. Because we know there was joy when the sheep that went away was found. And we know that there was joy when the coin that didn't go away but was in the house all the time was found. So we know that if the older brother responds, there will be joy. Let's read the story from Luke chapter 15 verses 11 to 32. And I want to make the argument to you that we can demonstrate that basically Jesus made up this entire story and we've got all of his words, right? Because you can't make up brilliant stories by committee. That's one argument. But anyway, let's go. Luke chapter 15, verses 11 to 32. I might be reading a different version from you, but you can listen along. And he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And he divided his property between them. Not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country, and there he squandered his property in reckless living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the field to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. And when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread, but I perish here with hunger? I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven, and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring the fattened calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began... To celebrate. Now, his older brother was in the field. And as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked him what these things meant. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he was angry and refused to go in. His father came out and entreated him, but he answered his father, Look, all these years I've served you and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who's devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you're always with me. And all that's mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother, was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This is an amazing 388-word story in the Greek. It's just astounding. Because every single word 
counts. And he does a lot with just a few words. So there's this story with a younger brother who goes to his father and he says father every time he addresses him, all three times, even one time in his mind, he calls him father. But the older brother doesn't address him as father. What's his first word? Look, all these years. So you're seeing one man who seems to be physically far away. He went a long way away, but he always called his father, father. And another one who's really close, who doesn't call his father, father. And he may never have complained before, but boy, has he felt like complaining. Isn't it amazing how you get each detail? And because this is a fair father, the father, when the younger brother asks for his stuff, he doesn't just give it to the younger brother. He gives it to both of them. Now, where is this story taking place? We don't know because it's a story. But let's say it takes place in Israel. Well, in Israel, older brothers get double what younger brothers get. And if it's a farm, usually in most cultures where you have a farm, that goes to the older brother, doesn't it? And and you just divide the the movable properties between the brothers. So whatever happens, this older brother does phenomenally well. He gets his inheritance early and everything he has from this point onwards is his. So he does pretty well. Younger brother goes away and then we hear not just that he goes away. And you think, well, but it also tells you that he wasted his money. Next door to this, beginning of Luke chapter 16, you have another story about a waster. It's about a story of an unjust steward who was accused of wasting his possessions. Wasting his master's possessions. So Jesus tells two stories in a row about wasters. And there are Pharisees listening and they really don't like people who waste money. We know about that from middle of Luke chapter 16. So what you see here is that every single word counts. And he goes into a far country... And we call him the prodigal son, but he's also the prodigal and the unlucky son. Because, you know, he went into a far country and he just happened to choose the one country where there was then a severe famine. Which didn't exactly help. Now, when people get into trouble financially, sometimes we think it's entirely their own fault. Well, a lot of it was his fault. But isn't it interesting the way Jesus delicately balances the fact that it's his fault he does stupid stuff, but also he's unlucky. There's a famine that hits the country at the same time. His older brother doesn't think about that. He just says he's wasted all his money with prostitutes. Um, Older brother, how do you know that? Has he been sending postcards from the brothel? I mean, how do you know that? There's only one possible source of information, because he hasn't even seen his brother since he's been back. He's been in the field. Only one possible source of information. What is it? The imagination. That's the only way. And why has he got that in his imagination, you might wonder? Right? So Jesus is telling a powerful story. And this is the amazing thing. You don't get this sort of story from a committee. The whole lot has to come from one person. And then what we see is that this younger brother squanders his property, but he doesn't tell you how. And that's really brilliant. Because sin is so totally boring, isn't it? I mean, you're never better off after you've been heard a sin story. I mean, sometimes you need to hear a sin story to understand God's grace. But you're never better off from hearing the sin bit, are you? So Jesus doesn't bore us with that. But what we find is that he's 
soon feeding pigs unclean animals and all this point you know the pharisees are saying yeah he's getting what he deserves i mean you do that to your dad you really deserve that so he gets them on side if you like and then you start realizing it's a bit more uncomfortable for them so he then somehow comes to a realization that he needs to go back to his father because his father is a generous father his father pays more than the minimum wage so that their hired workers every day their day hired workers have more than they need that's pretty unusual he is a generous uh, father and he wants to go back and say he, he, he sinned and he, he rehearses his speech in his mind of course he doesn't get to deliver the whole speech because the father interrupts him and he goes back, and this is an amazing thing, that the father runs and embraces and kisses him and welcomes him back. And that is a message to any sinner and any tax collector and anyone on the planet, by the way, that if you come back to Father God, he's ready to welcome you back. This is an amazing thing. So he comes back, and the father says, like time's been passing so slowly for the father, hasn't it? He says his very first word is the word quick. Get the fatted calf, the best animal we've been preparing. Let's have a feast. This son was dead. He's alive again. He's lost and he's found. Then we've got the older brother in the field. Isn't that interesting? In the field. What was he doing in the field? It doesn't tell you. But what do you think he was doing in the field? Well, he was working. He was working late, wasn't he? He was a hard-working guy. What's he doing when he's working? Well, he's building up his own property because he owns everything now. And when he says to his father, he hears about the celebration, he says, look, all these years I've been serving you. I've been slaving for you. Well, no, you haven't. You've been building up your own thing. You've been building up your own property. So he's a son who thinks of himself as like a slave, you see. And so it's such a powerful story. And... Then he says, and you never gave me a young goat. Really? Has he been vegetarian all these years on the farm? Do you think? Do you think that's plausible? But what's he say? Give me a young goat so that I could celebrate with my friends. Notice what he wants to do. He wants to celebrate. But this whole passage is about celebration. The shepherd celebrates when he finds the sheep. The woman celebrates when she finds the coin. The father celebrates when his son returns. Everyone's celebrating. But this guy wants a different sort of celebration. He wants a celebration with my friends. Well, well, has dad got a ban on friends coming round? That's not the problem, is it? He wants to be with his friends away from his father. Every time he's eating meat and dad's there, he doesn't enjoy it, you see? He wants to celebrate with his friends. Father says to him, and, and even the way he says, you killed for him, this son of yours, every word is brilliant. Now, that's just the first run through the story. Let's have a couple more run throughs to the story. Because you're listening, Jesus is saying it to Bible experts, okay? Story begins, a man had two sons. Who in the Old Testament, and you're allowed to answer out loud, who in the Old Testament had two and only two sons? A famous person who had two and only two sons, please. Isaac, thank you. So Abraham had more than two sons, but he does, uh, we'll come to that answer later. So Isaac had two sons. Esau, the guy in the field, and Esau, uh, Jacob, the guy who likes to be intense. And guess what happens? The younger brother goes off into a far country, doesn't he, Jacob? But he goes off with nothing and comes back with everything, whereas this guy goes off with everything and comes back with nothing. But when Jacob went away, he, what happened? He, well, he looked after animals, didn't he? 
And when he came back, what happened? Genesis chapter 33, verse 4. Genesis chapter 33, verse 4. You've got to read this. This is amazing. Because if you're a scribe, you'll copy out the Bible. And you know phrases in the Bible because you learn them. You have to learn how one phrase differs from every other phrase so you copy them right. Genesis chapter 33, verse 4 is the only time in the entire Bible, Old Testament, that someone runs, embraces and kisses someone. What's the story? Genesis chapter 33 and verse 4. But Esau ran to meet him, Jacob, and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him and they wept. And it was part of the scribal training of those days. You needed actually to know that verse particularly well. You had to put special marks on it. It's an amazing thing that Jesus is talking to the top of the class and say, look, what happened to Esau? Esau was cheated out of his entire inheritance. Now, remember when the younger brother says, here I am perishing of hunger. When is the one other time someone in the Bible has said, here I am perishing of hunger? It was Esau when he came in from a hunt and needed some soup. Remember? And that's the way he lost his inheritance. So can you see how clever the story is? And it's all got to fit together because it's got to be told by someone who knows the Old Testament really well, hasn't it? And he's putting it all together. Because Esau, even though he was actually a bad guy in the Old Testament, forgave his brother when he had cheated him out of everything. Now this older brother, at the time, in Jesus' story, he's thinking, well if I own everything... A little brother has spent everything, and now he's back. Whose estate is going to be harmed by that? I might lose a little bit. I don't like that idea. I don't like the idea of losing something. And so he protests. And that's the same attitude, of course, the scribes and the Pharisees were having. If tax collectors and sinners can live the way they live, fraternizing with the Romans, getting money off people like the tax collectors, and just living in fragrant sin while we're following all the rules and copying out the scriptures and then they can just get close to God that's a cheat we're losing some of our status you see so that's the amazing way that we could not only show it has to be told by someone who knows the old testament but it really works if it's told in that actual situation to that actual crowd right now that's just one layer let's look at some other layers It's not just that it's the Jacob and Esau story. It's also the Jacob and Laban story. There's lots of things about the Jacob and Laban story here. But you remember that Jacob went off and looked after his uncle's... uh, Yeah, um, Uncle Laban. He looked after his sheep. And then he went away um, and he stole off back home. And uh, Laban chases after him and says, you know, I really wanted to send you away with music and dancing and all this sort of thing. And his daughters are saying our fathers devoured all our property all of the phrases come straight from there but it's amazing what you get in um, Genesis chapter 31 verse 38 because Jacob gets really angry with Laban doesn't he Jacob uh, gets angry with Laban Genesis 31 verse 38 and he says this these 20 years I've been with you your ewes and your male uh, female goats have not miscarried and I've not eaten the rams of your flock and he talks about how many years he's been working for his father, a father-in-law, who's also his uncle. So it's that story. But it's a bit more, isn't it? It's the Joseph story, isn't it? Because what happens when Joseph gets um, out of prison in front of Pharaoh? Genesis chapter 41 and verse 42. Genesis 41 and verse 42. 
Joseph just interpreted the dream for Pharaoh. What's it say? Then Pharaoh took the signet ring off his hand and put it on uh, um, Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a uh, gold chain around his neck. It's the only other time in the Bible that you get someone suddenly clothed with a robe and a ring. And the Joseph story is the only other ra- sudden rags to riches story you've got in the Bible, where someone suddenly has that change of status. Yes, Dan- Daniel gets exalted, but that's not from the same rags or prison. Uh, Mordecai gets temporarily exalted like that, but this is the only other one. And of course, it's not just that. Joseph's the time of the great famine, isn't it? And Joseph is the only other son in the Bible who's thought dead by his father and then alive again. And Joseph went off into the far country and was not sexually misbehaving while his older brother Judah was. So it's all there. It's clever, isn't it? But it's not just that. It's also the story of Abraham. Did you know that? Yes, it's the story of Abraham. Well, I mean, any time you've got a father figure in the Bible, that like, might remind you of Abraham. But there was a man who had two sons. Yeah, we already got, we showed that you can get the name Abraham just from that sparkling audience. Yeah, that's who you think of. Because he had two pretty contrasting sons, didn't he? There was a man who had uh, two sons. He had some more later. Well, why would we think it's Abraham. Genesis chapter 18, verse 6 and 7. This is the very first hospitality offered in the Bible. Three dudes, that's very respectful, sorry I shouldn't say that. Three people turn up, but he didn't know that, who they were, and he offers amazing hospitality. One of them turns out to be God, and God is no man's debtor, so God makes him in charge of the the heavenly feast. Abraham will be in charge of that. Okay, and what happens is this. Three people turn up, Abraham entertains them, and how, what's he do? Well, it says, Genesis chapter 18, verse 6, and Abraham went quickly to the tent to Sarah and said, Quick! Three seers of fine flour. Have we had three seers anywhere yet so far today? Yes, we have. It's Jesus' shortest parable. In fact, it's the only other parable, the only part in the entire Bible we get three seers. And also, it happens to be three seers of flour, and all the other seers are of other things that you read in the Bible. So, Jesus, if you like, has this verse on the mind. It says, quick, three seers of fine flour, knead it and make cakes. And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to a young woman, a young man who prepared it uh, quickly. So what we got here is a number of things that if you're a scribe, you can't miss. It's the very first time anyone says the word quick in the Bible. And it's the very first word in the speech. And it's the very first time someone runs in the Bible. And it's the only time in the Bible that an old man runs. The only other time. And he runs to get a fatted calf ready. So you see, it's all happening. The first hospitality. And it also matches up with what we've got in Matthew's Gospel of a short parable. And so what they're showing you is this. The short parable about the three seers. It's the same mind that thought up the two stories. You see? So it's the same mind. Therefore, it has to be Jesus' mind. And every word has to be transmitted to us for in order for this to work. You do not get this sort of stuff from committee. Right? But also, of course, it's one more story. It's the story of Cain and Abel, isn't it? The Bible's first brothers... One's envious of the other, because the other's accepted, and he murders him. Uh, and that, the older brother, of course, is out in the field, and the younger brother, he, likes, um, he, he tends flocks. 
It's so interesting that basically Jesus has used all of Genesis's greatest hits in one story. But it's such a short story that you can appreciate that story without knowing any of that. You don't need to know any of that stuff at all, and you get it, right? That's the genius. Jesus is genius where he can speak to the top people in the class and to anyone who's got no information at the same time simultaneously. That is brilliance. No one else could do that but our Lord Jesus. And it's like this. It's almost as if Genesis has been written to get you ready for this short story. But like you could only do that if you were God, which he is. And so that's the brilliance of all of this. And it's not just that Jesus puts in references to keep the back of the class interested. It's actually got a point. Joseph was betrayed by his brothers, sold, and he forgave them. Esau lost everything, and he forgave them. Laban lost an awful lot. He had to do a peace treaty. And Ishmael. Mm. Ishmael lost his inheritance when he despised the feast for his younger brother. That's Genesis 21. He laughed at the feast that was given for Isaac's weaning. And there's a warning there. That if you think that you can be religiously upright and not have other people accepted into the club because they're too sinful, you're going to lose your inheritance. Abraham's the only other guy in the Bible who gives away his inheritance while he's still alive. Genesis chapter 25, if you want to read about that. The whole thing is simply astounding. So what's it teach us? It teaches us that the Gospels have handed down with integrity the words of Jesus. Secondly, it teaches us it's really worthwhile studying the Bible because there's an awful lot there that's really awesome, even in stories that you don't you, you think you know quite well. And thirdly, it teaches us that Jesus is really awesome, and therefore we ought to just follow every word he says. He is the word of God. He's the all-wise one. Let's base our lives on what he says And let's welcome people, like the older brother didn't want to welcome, let's welcome back those who are returning to God, and let's join the celebration. I'm just going to pray, and then we've got a final song about confidence in God's word. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for just the uh, brilliance of our Lord Jesus and uh, the stories that he told and what he taught us. And we thank you especially that he gave his life for us on the cross dying, taking our sins upon himself. And we ask that people today may find him as their Lord and Savior. Thank you that we can have confidence in your word that is reliably transmitted to us. In Jesus' name, amen.